IGP, and welcome to The CatCast, your show all about Gregory Portland ISD and us, your GP Wildcats. Here you'll learn what's happening in our schools and get to know our people. Those who are young and young at heart, let's learn together, GP. So we can all educate, inspire, and empower each other. Now let's tune in for today's episode of the GP CatCast. Today's episode is a special edition, Wildcats, as we are at the table today with the Senator, the Superintendent, and me, a proud student from Gregory Portland High School to discuss why public education matters in Texas and what's happening right now across our state that impacts students like me. Hello there, I'm Alentia Carey, and I'm here with Senator Morgan Lamantia, who leads our own District 27 on the Texas State Senate and Dr. Michelle Cavazos, our proud superintendent of Gregory Portland ISD. First, I'd just like to thank you both for taking the time out of your busy schedules and to our senator for traveling from Austin to be a part of the CatCast. Now, before we begin our exciting discussion today, let's get to know our guests with some fun questions. Senator, I'm curious, what was high school like for you, and can you describe one memory that you treasure most from that time in your life? Of course, and before I get into that, I just want to say, LNT, I know this is your first time, but you sound like a very experienced podcaster already, oh, so <laughs> that was great. Uh, but high school was good for me. I had a lot of friends, uh, went to a small school, so got to know everybody, which was great, great community, but I was the nerd, you know, so most of my <laughs> time was spent studying, no stuck in a book, read almost everything, get my hands on uh, you know, my punishments or grounding was they took the books away from me. And, you know, that's kind of how my parents grounded me, which was interesting compared to some of my, my sisters. But best experience was, so I have four sisters, so five girls. But there was a year where the three of us were all on the same softball team. And so being able to have that experience in high school where all three of us were able to play together because small school, one team, only one single varsity so we all were all on the same team and it was just a really great experience because if you've played sports or been on a team before a competitive team there's a bonding there that's unlike anything else so being able to experience that with my sisters was really amazing it's funny you mentioned that uh actually in my classes they tend to take away my book before they take away my phone yep <laughs> and most of the time that they take away my phone it's because i was reading a book on my phone <laughs> <laughs> now, the holidays are coming, too, and can you tell us what's a signature recipe that your family cooks a lot or something that you look forward to in the holidays? So, my, on my mom's side, uh, we usually spend Thanksgiving together, and one of the desserts that we always make, and we made with my grandma when she was around, was thumbprint cookies. It's a shortbread cookie that, when you put it on the pan, you use your thumb to impress a center hole in it almost. So when it cooks um, and the cookies come out, there's an indent in the middle of the cookie, which is perfect for either Hershey Kiss or a dollop of icing, and you let that sit, and then we all get to have it at Thanksgiving. We make those two. They're so good. They're so good. <laughs> Absolutely addicting. You just start popping them, and you can't stop. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. And Dr. Cavazos, what's a specific memory from high school that stays with you and maybe inspires you today as the leader of our district? Well, I think I've shared before that I grew up in Iowa, and I didn't really like high school. Um, but the things that really stick with me is I was really busy in high school. I worked several different jobs. I took advanced academics. I was in sports, played varsity, or ran varsity cross country, was a varsity swimmer. 
And so as a leader, it's really important to me to be able to provide those multiple opportunities for our students and be able to uh, remove any barriers for kids so that they can go after what their passions might be and then be prepared to go after whatever they want after high school. That's really inspiring. What's a special recipe or a dish that you enjoy during the holidays? My favorite, at least at Thanksgiving, is sweet potato casserole. And I know there's different versions of it. And my favorite is with the pecans and brown sugar like on top. It wasn't until I came to Texas that I learned about the marshmallow top. And not that I don't like marshmallows, but to me, sweet potato casserole is the one with the brown sugar, like all the sweet stuff on top. <laughs> my mom makes a really mean chicken tortilla soup, and it's like the best part of Christmas. <laughs> That sounds good, too. We make it on Christmas Eve, and it's like, we all, like, because I have a pretty decently sized family. You know, it's like my grandparents, my aunt, and then my uncle, his wife, and their daughter, and then my parents, and me and my sister. We fight for the soup. Because <laughs> it's just so good. My mom's an incredible cook. Well, thank you both for sharing with us. Now, let's get into today's topic about public education in Texas. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a proud GP Wildcat, which means that I am also a public school student. I'm very grateful for the education that I receive in GP. Now, at the state capitol in Austin, decisions are made that impact our schools, which means those decisions also impact me, my friends, and a million other students just like us. Senator, I know you recently finished a legislative session, and some special sessions have been called this year as well. One of the bills that has gotten a lot of attention in the news is for an educational savings program. Can you please describe what that is and maybe explain what is being proposed? Sure. An educational savings account is basically a voucher. What it is is that for at least under the Senate bill version of this issue, it would be $8,000 per student. That's $8,000 of public money to pay for private schools. Now that education savings account is like a health savings account where you can use it for specific items. This is for education only. That could be private school tuition and fees, transportation and uniforms to go and come from private schools, textbooks and tutoring, but all associated with private schools. None of that money goes to our public schools. We take public dollars and we send it to the private schools. Vouchers do take money that could be used for public education. They take money from programs like GPISD and the many programs they have here in the school district here and give it to a private school where private schools can pick and choose who they have and what students get in and they can deny access to their program or their school to any student that applies. Whereas public schools have to take everybody and they educate all of our students throughout Texas. And that's why our public institutions are so important and we need to fund them. People talk a lot about school choice when they talk about vouchers in the ESA program. But essentially, at the end of the day, what we're talking about here, it's not school choice in the way it is parents get to choose. It's school choice in that the private school gets to choose the students. The, private, the parent doesn't get to choose the school because at the end of the day, it's the school's decision whether or not they, that private school takes that student or not. So we need to make sure that the public schools that do take everyone, that don't turn anyone away, have all the funding that they need to continue to succeed, to grow and become schools like GPISD has here. Have you voted on this topic in the past? And what were your reasons for taking that stance? Yeah, so we voted on this topic probably about four times in the past. It was once during, or twice during the general session and then once during each special session. And I voted against the voucher program and the ESA program because I think it's so important that we fund our public schools and we make sure that the money goes to our public schools. 
And until we fully fund our schools and our public schools, we're not going to get to a point where we can look at alternatives. So our priority needs to be funding those schools because they're the ones that are going to set the future for the state of Texas. Thank you for sharing that. And Dr. Cavazos, as the leader of a public school district yourself, what are your thoughts about education savings accounts or school choice for families? I believe in choice, and I believe that that choice already exists within our public schools. So, you know, you have mentioned, you know, as a student here, you've seen all the different kinds of programs that we offer, and our district's no different than other public schools in the cross the state of Texas. Each of our public school districts has different offerings for students, but I'm not for education savings accounts or vouchers, because as Senator Lamantia mentioned, it does take public funds out of the public schools and reduces what is available to our students. There, it also, those dollars go and there's not accountability from the school. So we as a public school district, you know, you, you've taken state assessments, you know, and because we are, we're charged with making sure that every one of our students learns and we don't want that to go away. We want to make sure that everybody's growing and being well-equipped and well-prepared for what happens, what, whatever you choose after high school. We're held accountable to how we're spending our dollars. I mean, these are taxpayers' dollars. And so we as a school district, have there's several different kinds of reports that we produce to ensure that we're transparent with how we are utilizing those funds. If there's an education savings account or voucher that goes to a private entity, there's no accountability for how those dollars are spent. Right, there's no strings attached, whereas we put on so many rules and restrictions on public schools to make sure they're educating our students that they're spending the money the right way, and yet we're going to give $8,000 per student to a private school without... Mm-hmm any oversight whatsoever. And we're giving $8,000 for a student to go to private school, whereas the basic allotment per student at a public school is $6,150. So we're sending a statement that says we value private education more than public, and that's Mm -hmm. not a statement we want to be sending. I actually went to a private school for about a year, and I definitely saw that there were issues that needed to be handled more than the issues that were being handled. And I don't see that in GP, what needs to be taken care of gets taken care of very quickly. So I agree with what you said. (laughs) Dr. Cavazos, I think it's safe to say that we all wish we could pay our teachers and staff more in the school districts. And that seems to be true at the state level as well. For example, though not all of them have been passed or become law, I understand that schools are funded by public tax dollars and that it's different from other businesses who earn revenue from selling products or offering services. Because of that, it's not easy for a school district to just give raises like, say, a business would. Can you explain how that works and how the state legislator has helped to support teachers and staff salaries in the recent years? So the way that we pay our employees in a typical public school district, about 85 to 87% of the budget goes to paying employees. In GPISD, actually about 96% of our revenue goes to paying our employees. For several years, we were tasked under the previous leadership to be the highest paying district in the region and across several regions. As a result of that, we've been able to be fully staffed, which not all school districts in the state of Texas have been able to do, and they haven't had that, I guess I'd say, luxury to be able to pay at the rates that we've been able to pay. Um, the way that the legislature helps is through the increasing of the what Senator Lamontia mentioned as the basic allotment. 
That is the amount of dollars that we get for each student who is in our school district. And then every year our school board adopts a budget and determines where we're going to spend that revenue. And the biggest part of it is to, to, to uh, pay for our employees. I didn't know that information about the GP staffing. Yeah, we've really worked hard, not just on our professional staff, which is our teachers, nurses, librarians, and, and campus and district administrators, but as well as our auxiliary employees. You know, because of our location, we also, so auxiliary would be hourly staff. So our maintenance, our grounds, our custodians, transportation, student nutrition staff. You know, because of where we live with the industry here, industry pays really, really well because they're private entities. And so we've really worked hard to be competitive because we want to retain the best here and keep our employees and our hourly and our salaried staff so they can have a good quality of life. Um, you know, this is a great place to live. It's a great place to raise kids. We have a phenomenal school district. And when we have the best employees here, we're able to provide, again, the best for our kids and their families. Senator Lamontia, what are your thoughts about teacher and staff pay? And what are some recent bills that you have reviewed in the Senate? So our teachers and public school employees are so important because they're the ones that are educating our next generation of leaders. You know, our future as a state is in our, the hands of our teachers and our public schools. So we need to fight to get our school districts the money that they need to continue to increase that pay for not just our teachers, but our bus drivers, our custodians, our cafeteria workers. All of them deserve so much more than what we're currently able or giving them out of the state legislature's budget. But it's something that we're going to continue to fight for and push for. And we've got Gregory Portland ISD, which is doing a fantastic job increasing the pay that they give to their employees. But then we have other school districts like Kingsville ISD, who doesn't have the budget or the resources to be able to do that. So they're looking at alternative ways to really improve the quality of life for their employees. And that's by looking at a four-day school year, school week, rather. So they get Friday off, where you still have teachers coming in, but they're able to use that time for administrative purposes. And then parents who work Fridays, who can't be at home, can still send their kids there for basically study hall, and it's not a full day. That way, they're able to retain their teachers by offering them something that they wouldn't get at another job or another industry. So our schools are becoming incredibly innovative and creative on how to improve the quality of life of their employees. But that just means that the state needs to step up and support them in any way we can. And that's why it's so important for us to give our school districts more funding. You know, we had an amendment on one of the first voucher bills that came out of the Senate, and that was going to increase teacher pay to $10,000 by $10,000. And that was going to be across the board, everyone in the state, and it wasn't a bonus. It was going to be a salary increase that the state was going to fund. Sadly, that didn't pass, but it's a fight we're still going to continue to work for. And we had a bill that we weren't able to get a lot of movement on, but was filed in the Senate and the House. It was to give a $15,000 pay raise to teachers and librarians and counselors and a 25% pay raise to all the hourly and support staff. Something we're still going to work on and we're going to still push. The state has a very big budget, but the question comes down to what your priorities are. And I strongly believe that public education needs to be that priority. It must be a challenge to balance public tax dollars and all of the needs that come across your desk for consideration. In the big picture, how important do you believe it is to consider public education bills? And what is something you wish other people knew about the process that they don't already know? Right. So 
Texas has a lot of priorities that we need to look at how to spend our public dollars. You know, we need money for infrastructure and roads, for drainage, for health care. We need money for our law enforcement as well. So really trying to balance those priorities and where to spend the money. There really isn't a bad answer there, but it does become a bad answer or bad acting when we ignore public education. And the biggest public education bill that was supposed to get passed this session got blocked because vouchers didn't pass. And it was basically, these two have to pass together or it's not passing at all. And that's what happened. And so during special session, we're coming through kind of the same situation. We have Senate Bill 2, which has to do with public education funding. It's a $6 billion bill, which is great. It's going to increase basic allotment, not as much as we wish, but it will give it uh, more of an increase. It's going to give a one-time teacher bonus of $10,000 for smaller school districts and uh, $3,000 for those larger school districts per teacher, and has an increase in school safety allotment. All this is a step in the right direction, but it doesn't go far enough. And so it's something we're going to continue to build on and push for. Hopefully we can get that passed in this special session to give our public schools some relief that they desperately need because inflation and costs are rising and we need to help out our schools as much as possible. But if that doesn't pass because vouchers to ESAs, that's not something, that's not a message we want to send. We want to make sure that our public schools are priority and our public schools know it. Yeah, and I kind of want to piggyback on that. You know, that funding for public education is kind of being held hostage for the passage of, um, for this desire for education savings accounts and vouchers. Not by all legislators. You can hear Senator Lamantia gets it. She really understands the importance of public education and the importance of funding it. I don't know if everybody realizes that in this past legislative session, no bills, as she said, to fund public education were passed. So as school districts, we're still operating under the same funding guidelines from the last legislative session. And in Texas, the funding is, is approved every two years in a biennium. This year, many districts across the state had to adopt a deficit budget because they were trying to give some kind of pay raise for their employees. And um, we've already mentioned the cost of inflation. And, and then even us districts along, here along the coast, we have windstorm insurance. Well, and property insurance, what went up for us, it went up 60%. Our our premiums went up 60% with getting less coverage. And those are fixed costs that are out of our control and impact then how much we're able to pay our employees. While I've been a student at GP, I've noticed that our community is really supportive of its students. I myself am a special education student, and I receive so much support from staff at GP that I'm very grateful to attend this school. My family and I, we recently moved out to Corpus and it became an issue of where am I going to go to school? And I fought my parents that I wanted to go to GP, that GP is where I belonged and I've been here for so long and I'm going to graduate and the help that I get, I'm very thankful for. And it's an awesome thing and I believe that it really helps everybody. Now, Senator, you've attended our football games and have been to many public events here in GP since being elected to office. How important do you believe it is to be a part of the many communities you serve, and what are your goals when you visit people in South Texas? So becoming integrated with our communities is incredibly important. Actually, it's essential to being a good legislator because I need to really have my pulse on the heartbeat of the community, understand what's most important so that when we do go to Austin, 
we make sure that those priorities are being met and we push for those issues as much as possible. The other side of that is when we're out in the community meeting people, we get to know so many people from so many different walks of life. Like you said, you're involved in the special edu the education and so many other resources here at GPISD, and not every student has that experience. So when we come across a bill or an issue that may impact those types of programs, we want to reach out not just to the school district, but those students we've met that are in those programs to see, what do you think? How will this impact you? Is this good? Is this bad? Will this have unintended consequences? Because I'm not an engineer, right? So I'm not going to be able to fully understand how a bill affecting engineers is going to impact their day-to-day -day lives. But I know I can call an engineer that I've met in the district and ask him about it and how it's going to impact them. I know I can call someone who raises cattle in uh, B County or San Patricio County and ask them how this wildlife bill is going to affect them. So it's important to have those connections so that we have those resources we can reach out to, but also we know what's most important in the community because we live on the coast here and my district is mostly made up of coastal communities and we have some very specific issues that don't apply to the rest of the state. Just like Dr. Cavazzo said with wind insurance, but the other side of that is also you know, salt water deteriorates yeah. equipment so quickly. <laughs> so our schools need to replace their outdoor AC units much faster than a school in the interior of Texas or in the north part of Texas. So that's something that doesn't get accounted for and isn't really considered in other parts of Texas. And that's information that we need to bring to our colleagues in Austin, point out these inconsistencies and try to find ways and find solutions that work for everybody that can accommodate these specific issues that are specific to us. What are some similarities that you've noticed between GPISD and other public school districts in your travels? And how does that knowledge help you make an important decision for the state? So one of the things that we just talked about was yes. our proximity <laughs> to the coast, right? So that happens here in GPISD all the way down to Point Isabel ISD at South Padre. It's the high cost of wind insurance. You know, I've got a school district that can only afford to insure a third of their roof on their school campus. So if a hurricane hits, we're going to be in a big, big, have a big problem if all of a sudden their roof is gone, they can only pay to replace a third of it. And that's when the state's going to need to step up. But if we can step up sooner before those big issues happen, before the disaster comes, then we can make sure everyone is prepared the way they should be and insured. And we kind of alleviate a lot of those issues before they happen. But there are so many different challenges that are so similar from the north to the south. And like we said, teacher pay, payment of our auxiliary workers, of our bus drivers, and competing with industry on a lot of those costs and trying to keep them there. It's the same problem, and it all has a very, very similar solution. But one thing I will say that I feel is very unique to my district is how passionate everybody is. Each of my school districts, whether it's Bevo ISD, Point Isabel ISD, Mathis, Gregory Portland, our teachers, our school boards, our superintendents, they are working together. They are trying to find solutions together and they enjoy coming to work every day. There's not many school districts that you can go visit where everyone's got a smile on their face and have something great to tell and want to tell you about this exciting new program that they're working on or just brag about their students. And it is fantastic when you hear that. And all you want to do when you go home after hearing those stories is find ways to give them more resources to continue their, the great things that they're doing and help them expand and grow to be able to touch more lives and be able to create those future leaders. 
Dr. Cavazos, you also travel quite a bit, and many times you've been to the state capitol to testify before legislators. Why do you believe it's important to take time to do that, and also to build a relationship with legislators like the senator and others? Well, I think the key to any kind of progress is built on relationships of trust. So it's important to talk and get to know each other. And Senator Lamonti has done a phenomenal job of getting to know her district. Before she was officially elected, she'd come to our state of the district. She was trying to learn everything she could about education that she maybe didn't already know because she'd already been doing her homework. And, <laughs> and then she, we had the opportunity to take her on a tour of our district. She bravely got in the car with me, driving. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and one of our board members and one of our former students and got to just show her around our district. So not just you know our buildings, but also being able to talk about our industry that's here. So what's unique to our community, to our school district? And she's done that not just with us. I know all across the coast. That's all about building a relationship built on trust. And then the other part of your question, why it's important to have those relationships? Yes, ma'am. That's so then it's kind of like that phone a friend, like, okay, there's a bill and Morgan's able to say, okay, what's the, the pros and cons of this? Or if, as we're monitoring bills, which I've learned how to do that. I never, as a kid, I never dreamed, you know, that as a superintendent, I would be going to the Capitol to testify on behalf of kids. I thought, I'm just going to get to, you know, take care of kids and make sure that they learn everything. And there's so much more to it. And I think more to it now than there was even a decade or two decades ago. When we talk to each other, we know that we're, we're speaking straight to each other, mm-hmm. you know, and she's able to say, hey, I'm not going to be able to do this, or I am, or what if we tweak it like this, and I'm going to be able to say, hey, this isn't going to work on, on our side. Um, here's where we might be able to give, you know, and figure out. When we're talking about public education in particular, it's keeping kids at the forefront and making sure that every decision we make is going to make the most positive impact on them and their futures. I'll build on that real quick, how important that relationship is, because I've got some main superintendents, Dr. Cavazos is definitely one of them top list, where I'll be in a hearing on committee, mm-hmm. hearing a bill, and I'll get a text from Dr. Cavazos, that's wrong, ask this question. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I've got a couple of group texts and a couple different text messages coming in, and I'll be able to ask the questions that are most important, most imperative, because... I don't have as much experience or expertise in the matter that Dr. Calvasso says and a lot of our superintendents do, but they're able to text me and talk to me in real time and we can address it as we're going through committees. So it's wonderful having those personal connections. Well, that's Mm -hmm. like what you were saying earlier about you don't know like how this decision that you are supposed to make is going to impact the people it's going to make. So it's great for like your decision-making process to hear from those superintendents. Yes. I think that that's fascinating. (laughs) Now, Senator, I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening that are learning as much as I am today. And I I have to ask, for those who want to have a voice in legislative decisions, what's the best way to contact a senator representative? So there's a lot of ways to get in contact with us. But the most important thing is to reach out. Reach out to my office. Reach out to Representative J.M. Lozano's office. I know both of our doors are always open and we're always looking for input and impact. And it's so important to use your voice and let your elected officials know where you stand on an issue or how you feel about something. And for us, you can contact by calling the office, uh, calling my state office, calling our district office. You can send us an email, write a letter. 
I will say that it's very rare for an elected official to get a handwritten letter nowadays. <laughs> so most times, if you send a handwritten letter, that usually gets to the top of the elected <laughs> official's desk because we don't we get them so rarely. Shoot us an email. I mean, reach out to us on Instagram, on Facebook, on social media, Twitter, X, sorry. <laughs> if social media is your thing, reach out to us that way. We're always checking it. That's such a Gen Z thing, contacting a representative on Instagram. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But that also just is a testament to her, to Senator Lamantia, and how she's connecting with all parts of her constituents. We have a very like broad spectrum of communication options. Very much so, because we understand that people communicate in different ways. And, you know, there's a million different devices nowadays and ways people feel comfortable, and we want to meet them where they feel most comfortable. So we try to be on all platforms and all different formats as possible to be there. And we try to be as present in the community as well. So if you prefer having that face-to-face communication, there will always be an opportunity to do that. And we say reach out, whether you live in my district uh, or not, reach out to me. Whether you're old enough to vote or not, reach out to me. We want to hear what's important to those um, in Texas. You know, and we're also very fortunate in our location in, in GP because our senator and our representative have offices here in Portland. And so it's easy to go by the office mm-hmm. and talk to staff members and just and sit down and start building that relationship and say, hey, here's where I'm coming from. And, and so we're very fortunate and, and really super grateful that you opened an office here because you do have a huge district. We do, yes. And you have more than one office. We do. We have an office <laughs> in Brownsville. We have one here. We have one in Westlaco and soon Raymondville. So we have a lot of offices, but that's the whole point, to be present in the community and allow people an opportunity to come by and talk to us. Mm-hmm. Dr. Cavazos, as someone who stays informed about what's happening in Austin, do you find that people today are following the news and seem to understand what's going on at the Capitol or not? I'll speak for myself personally. I know that I am. I know that our school board is as well. And that's one of the areas that our school board has really worked on is is building their skill set in advocacy and really grassroots advocacy within our community. And even they have said, well, we're not, they weren't as comfortable originally at advocating at the state level, but we did get to participate with Raise Your Hand Texas in the, the inaugural trustee advocacy cohort. And so our board, along with me, got to learn a lot of tools and learn more about the legislative process. You know, I took government class in high school, but that was a long time ago. I'm really old now. But, <laughs> but you know, going through this and just learning the process, learning how to even track a bill. I didn't know how to do that. And so we're now building that capacity in our board, but then also with our teachers, you know, those who are interested. So I think especially because public education right now is such, it's of such prominence. I mean, not that it hasn't been prominence before, but in the legislatively, I think there are more people that are, their ears are perked up and they're trying to figure out what's, what should we be doing? What can we do? And wanting to learn more of what's really going on. I think in the past that, again, I'll speak personally, I don't want to, you know, speak for other people, but I think maybe I took some of the process for granted and didn't really know how to get involved or really the importance of being involved. I did my homework before I would vote, you know, but I've learned so much more. And I'd say, you know, as far as people who are eligible to vote, to vote. That is the number one thing (laughs) that people can do is to go vote. Our board has really worked on increasing voter turnout. We had a great turnout this last May during that election. 
and our board worked really hard. And we had several community members who also helped in getting people out to the polls. And so we really want to continue that momentum and people getting out and voting and then building a relationship with those who are elected to office. I actually turned 18 February of last year, right before like the second round of voting for GP. And I was fortunate enough to be able to utilize the opportunity that GP High School provided its students. So I was able to register to vote. So I, (laughs) yeah. And for those listeners out there, you missed a great high five. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that was something that was key in this last May election is that we really, our our board really mobilized two big parts of our community. They mobilized our group that typically vote, which are in the over 65 age group, tend to turn out to vote. They also were able to mobilize our parents that were in the 20 to 30 year age range. So it's really important. And that's why, you know, I'm so glad to hear your experience as a student, because the decisions that are being made now are impacting you all, not just now, but in the future as well. Well, our student council actually like set that up for the students where we could go in, we could fill out the documents and we could register to vote right before our lunch shift. Perfect. <laughs> so yes. that was how I did it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, this has like, truly been an enlightening discussion, and thank you both so much. Now, I'd like to ask you, what is one thing that you hope our listeners decide to do after hearing this conversation? Dr. Cavazos? Well, I think I kind of mentioned it, but I think is to be informed and vote. So I'm going to say another thing. That's probably like two, th- three things. And then, then <laughs> not more. <laughs> but is, is to get to know our, our elected officials. You've gotten to hear a Senator Lamantia. You know, she's very relatable. and She's she very a, awesome. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and she's an amazing staff, too, that are very connected to her. So I have learned she likes to try to be everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and she has a huge district. Senator Lamantia, what is your one thing? Well, I hope that this conversation inspires action, inspires people who listen to get involved, to uh, really start to learn about issues that are important to them and go out there and vote. And if you're younger, if you're a student, if you're not old enough to vote, talk to your parents, get them to go vote. Because what happens a lot of times is that people get, young students get very involved and they get very passionate about issues when they're in middle school and they're in high school. And then, of course, they leave the community to go to college, and they're not here to vote, and they come back when they're older, and that passion's kind of maybe dwindled a little bit, and they don't vote like they would if they're younger. So hopefully those younger kids, while you guys are still at home, you encourage your parents to go vote. You share that passion with them to get them and make sure that they're informed, to talk about it at home, get them to go vote so that when you come back, your parents are there, are just as encouraging, making sure you vote again and reminding them, this is what you told me when you were 15 years old and bothered me every day at dinner. I'm going to bother you the same way. Let's go vote because that's what's most important. And really when change starts to happen, when we start to see voter turnout increase, to see people really get involved and get passionate about it, it happens that starts at home. And it starts with those conversations that kids have with their parents. And that's why it's so important for schools like Gregory Portland ISD, where you guys have the student council that's so involved, where you have mock elections to teach kids how it works, to share that at home with their parents and their older siblings, to make sure that that information continues and convinces them to go vote and get passionate about issues. The other thing I would say is, you know, get involved. And sometimes it can be intimidating and you may be scared and you may think, well, I can't call them. I'm not an expert on this issue. I just feel a certain way about it. 
call us regardless. If you have questions, ask us questions. There are no dumb questions. Because believe me, I've probably asked it already. <laughs> <laughs> but get involved, be informed, give us a call, come by and see us. Let us know how you feel about any and all issues. You are both incredible leaders in our community and in the state of Texas, and I cannot thank you enough for taking your time to talk with us today on CatCast. Listeners, I've seriously learned so much, and I hope you have too. If today's episode was helpful for you, then please take a moment to share this podcast with just one other person today. And together, we can help each other to learn and stay informed. Because as a community, as a district, and as a state full of good people trying to do great things, it's important that we work together to educate, inspire, and empower each other. I'm extremely proud to have spent this time with you both today. And once again, thank you, Senator Lamantia and Dr. Cavazos, for your leadership and the many ways that you are helping others every day. I am grateful for both of you and for the education I'm receiving thanks to the support of taxpayers like you who help fund our state and through it, our local school district. So thank you, GP. The more we listen and learn together, the more we become a stronger GP family. We'll catch you next time, Wildcats.